Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Good morning, church. There is a lot of empty seats there, so yeah, if you can come forward, that'd be great. The mission or life, we're in this series, we're, I think it was this part five, part six, we're in the middle of it anyway. Um, so it's all about evangelism, right? Are we talking about evangelism? Well, I would say yes and no. It's not just about evangelism. You see, as missionaries, this is what we are as believers, as followers of Christ, we are here definitely to spread a message. So in that way, yes, it is all about evangelism. It's, it's a message that salvation comes by faith in Jesus. Amen? But as we've been learning, as ambassadors, we heard about our identity as an ambassador of God's kingdom. We are here to show the evidence also of that salvation at work in our life. And that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. See, just as worship is not just about us singing songs, as great it is as it is, the gospel is not just preached with our words, but also in how we live our lives. People are watching us, and they're looking for evidence of that salvation that we proclaim. See, the word teaches that, us that we are actually justified by faith alone. So it's not, it's not about what we do, what we achieve, but it's by, by what Jesus has done for us. But the faith that justifies, it necessarily flowers into good works, you know, I once told a screaming uh, doomsday evangelist out on the streets, you've heard this story before, that her proclamation must be coupled with love. Otherwise, she would just be like a clanging symbol to the people that are listening. And, you know, if you ask anyone that works at Tetra Pak, which is quite a lot of people here, uh, the vessel matters, right? You can have really good news inside, but if the packaging is ugly, the people ain't buying it. Right, And so that's a little bit like us. So we've got a good message inside of us, but people want to see the fruit in us, right? You see, just as Lynn shared last week, the truth must be spoken in love. It must be delivered in that package of grace, right? Paul was saying that the preacher must first live the life, that humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love and making efforts towards unity, as he talks about in Ephesians. So that soapbox preacher, as we used to call them, rejected my advice as some kind of, oh, that's just liberal theology you're talking about right there. Just preach the gospel, she said. But I would argue that how we live in relation to one another is actually just as important as how we live in relation to God. And uh, I actually have a, a scripture to back that one up. You see, um, the, these two our relation to God and our relationship to one another are, in fact, inseparable. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? We know what his answer is. In Matthew 22, I think I got it up on the screen. I got a lot more scriptures and, and texts, by the way, in the Bible app event, if you, you can find it in the Bible app event. So if you want more context, you can get it there. But I'll skim through some of them today. So Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? You know, that we have the Ten Commandments, and there's a lot of other supporting um, scriptures and words from the prophets 
that, that, that supplement that as well. But so he was given the unenviable in, in, in task of trying to summarize all of that up and pick one. And they were trying to catch him out. But he replied excellently. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, listen to his summary statement. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we're talking about the law here. This is actually not the gospel. The law, the way that we are called to live is to love God and to love others as ourselves. The gospel is the good news. It's a gift. It's not law. It's the good news of a gift. It's not something that we do. It's not something that we can achieve. But it's a gift to be able to do what we have shown ourselves incapable of doing, which is living out as God designed for us. The law and the prophets, they specified the design for our life. I'm borrowing some building terms here. Maybe Yvonne, you'll appreciate some of this. (laughs) They specified the design for our life. And Jesus was the fulfillment, the delivery on that specification. And you see, through Jesus, we don't just receive a reprieve from condemnation or the demolition of that building, but God wants us, he has put us on a mission to be builders of his kingdom. People need to see that with this newfound capacity that we received, we haven't just got a reprieve, we've been given a capacity that the, to that this build is progressing and God wants to see that his gift is being used for our own renovation. So people, when, when they hear us preaching the good news, they want to see, okay, well, what effect has it had in your life? I want to see the pro- if the proof is in the pudding, as we say in England, right? One of the most obvious signs I can think of is our relationship to other people around us. What better sign that someone has peace with God than them having peace with others. Now, I realize that that's not automatic. I mean, it's, it's not like when you say yes to Jesus, all of a sudden, all your enemies become your best friends, right? You, you know, um, but, well, actually, that's probably what, you know, I mean, it's, it's, not like, it's not like you're going to all of a sudden, like, invite, you know, your worst enemy around for fika. Oh, just by becoming a Christian, now you can come hang out with me. Or is it, actually, maybe Jesus would have done that, right? He, he was kind of radical like that. Like, Jesus is the kind of guy that would go to the guy giving him a parking ticket and say, do you take milk with your coffee? You know, let's get fika. Let's hang out. Like, what are you doing? They're the enemy. They're the worst people in the world, right? <laughs> Jesus was pretty radical. So what Jesus is looking from us is that we need to, we need to share in that heart. We need, at least, you know, we need at least to have that desire to be like him, that radical love and acceptance of people because Jesus was a peacemaker in his world. And that is the model for our life to follow after. He is the blueprint to serve the cause of justice and righteousness. There's that word, justice. That's the theme for today's message. We're going to be talking about justice now, as I was preparing this message, I realized we probably need a whole series on this. This is a pretty big topic, but I'm going to try and do a quick deep dive today. Um, one of the most famous biblical statements about how to love your neighbor as yourself probably comes from the book of Micah. And you perhaps remember this because way back in, I think it was February, we had an ecumenical week of prayer, and a lot of us went to uh, Johannes Shirkian in town, and we met with all the churches And that was the key scripture for that Sunday and for that week of prayer. And so I'm going to read that from today. 
uh, today as well. So in Micah 6, it's a lot of people, a, a lot of statements about how to please God. And he says in, in, in verse 8, He has showed you, O man, what is good and what does the, the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I love that. This week, we will explore how God calls us to see every person in the image of God and how to act justly as a response to his grace. Now, justice, if you didn't already know it, it's a key theme throughout scripture and for his redemptive mission that we've been talking about. But it's a term that I feel is being kind of hijacked by a lot of different parties, right? It's, ba- been, it's bandied around a lot today. People talk about uh, social justice warriors, and, and there's a lot of like counterclaims uh, from different competing worldviews. People think that they can lay claim to it and, and define it, right? So, so there's a lot of confusion around it. And it's perhaps why some of us as Christians, as believers, have maybe become a little bit uncomfortable with the cause of justice today because it maybe doesn't align with how we see the world. I mean, what do we even mean when we use the word justice? Well, for a disciple, the definition of justice comes from the very character of God that we learned about back in spring when we talked about the character of God. Justice is one of the key characteristics or righteousness of our Father in heaven. Now, not long ago, I had dinner with my now ex-colleagues, and uh, they, they all knew I was a Christian, that I go to church. And so one of my colleagues, who is quite loud, he was like, Justin's a man of God, ha, 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 like, like a jibe, like he was trying to make fun of me. And um, I, I took that opportunity to just tell everyone around the table that I find it incredible that each and every one of you at this table are created in the image of God even the unlikable ones. Now, they, they thought I was obviously being a little bit sarcastic, but I was being sincere in that that is the amazing reality that each and every person was created in the image of God. And this is so critical to how we engage with the world and with each other. Now, uh, it's something that was actually echoed by uh, a hero of mine, uh, Mohamed Salah. He plays football for Liverpool. <laughs> um, he was talking on this topic, the hot topic right now, the conflict in Gaza and Israel, and he just made this statement that I was like, amen to. Uh, he said this, he said, um, all lives are sacred and must be protected. That is something I think all of us can agree with because the reality is it doesn't matter what faith, what background, where you come from, we are all created in the image of God, and that means that every human life is sacred to God. So as I said, laying aside conflicts, rights, and wrongs, for me, that is a central tenet. Human life is sacred. C.S. Lewis said it really well. He said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. It is immortals whom we joke with, who we work with at Ikea. (laughs) Sorry, I added that bit. That we marry, that we snub or exploit. I think we would be a much healthier humanity if we understood that simple truth. 
that we are created in the image of God and that lives are sacred. No matter where people come from, they are the images, uh, they are the bearers of the image of God. And we have to see that they are people ultimately to be loved. So justice is part of God's mission. As we talk about living a, a missional life and joining God in his mission, we not only need to join him in sharing the gospel, but also in doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly. How we live is super important. We can't be serious about living a missional life without talking about justice. Now, justice is a theme that you'll find it runs throughout Scripture. It's, it's not a new fad or phase. It's something that you see right throughout the Bible. It runs through the Scriptures. God and his vision and his purposes for the world. He is a just God, and he desires that his people would be a people that reflect that desire for justice. Looking at the issue of justice, however, as I said, it can be overwhelming. Because of the, the fluid nature of the English language as well, you'll find that words can take on different meanings in different periods and, and times. And sometimes they take on more of an emotional association rather than the literal meaning, which is what you'll find today. And I, I, the, sometimes these associations, they can be like counter to our Judeo-Christian understanding of what that word means, right? And that can be problematic for us. One political journalist, Jonah Goldberg, he said it this way, social justice has become code for good things no one needs to argue for and no one dare be against. Maybe you recognize that. I do. <laughs> I remember when I studied human rights at Malmo uh, University now, it's called, and I felt like half the class was atheist, whereas the other half were a mix of mainly Muslim, some Christians in there too. And we had one Nigerian brother um, that was really good fun. And he, he loved to argue about human rights with direct quotes from the Bible. <laughs> he was just preaching. He was like, I don't care. <laughs> right. And, and he would get ridiculed by all the pagans in the room. Right. So <laughs> like that. And, and, you know, a lot uh, the Muslims, they just kept out of it. They're like, well, it's not our fight. <laughs> And the Christians pretty much did the same. But not me, because I love a good debate. So I got stuck in there. So one, one of my good friends who's an atheist started making some claims. He said, he said oh, the Bible is not a reputable source. And, and human rights, they evolve from self-evident values that are innate in humans. I was like, okay, this guy is ignorant of history. So I said, the reality is, as I argued, that our very concept of human rights are hinged upon the inherent value of humans as image bearers of God. That is, that is what separates humans from animals. I mean, you, you just look at animals, they're very cruel to each other. Some of the stuff that goes on in nature, I mean, it's horrendous. But we don't argue with the, the laws of nature, the circle of life. It's beautiful, right? We don't argue with those things, but we, we, we hold humans to a different standard, so I guess in some ways, them saying that it's innate in humans, I would say, yes, it is. But the question is perhaps, how did it get there? And why is it exclusive to humans? Case closed. <laughs> that was the mic drop. Um, but even if you share a Christian worldview, like myself, it can still be difficult to figure out how God's mission 
intersects today with the here and now issues of our society and stuff that's going on in the world, right? How it engages with injustice that we see, inequality, oppression, systemic evils, all these things. And before diving into this topic, and it will be a very shallow dive, I guess, because of the time permitting, I want us to think through how to practically engage. um, And to do that, we need to define what justice is, simply. As I said, while culturally we have a collective ideal of what justice is, there is not often agreement on what uh, justice really means. Is it fairness? Is it equality? Is it everyone having equity, uh, checking our privilege at the door? Is it showing support, solidarity? And beyond justice meaning, what is the role of religion in justice, our faith? It's a big topic, and we're not going to get through it all today, but You know, there's a lot of different versions. I could just quickly mention it. You know, it's about maximizing welfare for the many. It's about respecting freedom and liberty. Or it's about promoting virtuous behavior. All of these different things touch on a lot of biblical truths, but they don't quite do it justice on their own. To truly understand justice, we must begin with God and his word. American pastor Tim Keller, I quote from him quite often, His book, Generous Justice, which is really good, talks about the discovery that the Bible provided the basis for justice. He realized that the creation story, it actually accounted for the origin of the idea of human rights in the West that has now been enshrined in the UN statutes. And that biblical prophetic literature actually rang true with a lot of calls for justice in his day in the 50s and 60s in the civil rights movement. He realized that it has actually has way more in common with Christian views of sin and salvation than it did in anything in the secular world. The Bible describes justice in three key ways, which I'm just going to go over today. Justice reflects God's character. Justice is for the poor and the vulnerable. And justice is about right relationships. So justice reflects God's character. Justice is not just something God does. It is who he is. He's a just God. Time and again, we see God introduce himself as the one who cares about and is defined by justice. We can read this in uh, Psalm 146. There's a lot of good examples there. He executes justice for the oppressed and gives food for the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves those who live justly. The Lord watches over the immigrant and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. And in Deuteronomy 10, just to give you some examples, the Lord your God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the immigrant, giving him food and clothing. I think some people would be surprised to find out this even is in our Christian Bible because they maybe haven't seen it as much as they should have. But it is there all the way through the Bible. Secondly, justice is for the poor and the vulnerable. God stands in stark contrast to the world by defining himself as the one who is on the side of the poor and the weak. It says in Jeremiah 22, this is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of his oppressor, the one who has been robbed Do no wrong or violence to the immigrants, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. I'm going to do a bit of word study today. 
The word for justice in the Old Testament is mishpat. It refers to the actions we take to create a community of justice so that all people are treated fairly. Now, this Hebrew word, it appears hundreds of times in the scriptures and shows us the depth of God's heart for justice. It's the type of actions that set things right, doing right. And while this includes punishment for wrongdoing, it also means to give people their rights. To give people what they are due, whether punishment, protection, or care. God calls us to live out mishpat, especially in relation to the quartet of the vulnerable, the, these, these four types of people that you'll hear over and over again. You might have just heard it now. I'm talking about the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, and the poor. In our context, someone maybe who has suffered loss, the lonely, an outsider, or just a person in need. In contrast to the world, God loves and he defends those with the least economic social power, those that are vulnerable. We can read in Zechariah 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the immigrant or the poor. Thirdly, justice is about right relationships. It's helpful to frame justice using another Hebrew word. That is, well, this one's hard. <laughs> Sadakah. Yes, I think that's right. No Hebrew people here? I don't know. Maybe, Lavina, maybe you know that one. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it, the word sadakah means being just or being righteous. This word refers to a life of right relationships. It points to day-to-day -day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and society with fairness, generosity, and equality. Now, while mishpat is a correcting justice, it's like doing right after something had been done wrong to them, sadaqah is primary justice. And if it is followed, mishpat will not even be needed. When these two words, sadaqah and mishpat, are tied together, which they are done over three dozen times in the Bible, the English expression that maybe best conveys the meaning could be social justice which is problematic because some people have redefined that. But in the original English, that's, that's probably what would work best, social justice. Now, we know that doing justice includes not only the righting of wrongs, but also generosity and social concern toward the poor and vulnerable. We are called to live a life that reflects the character of God in all our activities, from fair and honest dealings with people in our daily lives to regularly and radically giving of our time and resources, all the way to activism that seeks to end particular forms of injustice. I know in the Sea Free movement, there's a lot of work done with modern slavery, for example, or, or uh, mercy ministries in, in war-torn areas, for example. Or maybe it's some kind of violence in our city, uh, like this... A lot of the city hearts in different cities have been working for you know, domestic violence, against domestic violence, for example, or some kind of oppression. There is a theme of justice throughout the Bible, so we must be careful to not just dismiss all the, all the forms of like, you know, rallies to the cause of supposed justice today, and instead ask what the Bible calls us to. What is the Bible asking of us? 
Injustice in the Old Testament. As I said, like there is just a, a red thread throughout the Bible. And, you know, some people would try to say that uh, certain forms of, of activism and concern for different parts of society, that actually it's, it's, it's not core to the message of God. But actually, you'll find that it's way more core than maybe we have given credence for. In Deuteronomy 15, it says, There need be no poor among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today. So there's a much bigger like, narrative of the Bible that I could go through in detail, and I'm sure some of you can kind of figure it out. But God set laws in place for his people to ensure that no one fell into poverty. Now, we, we, we don't have to look too far to see how some people, even in our great society, this like welfare state that we live in, there's always some people that kind of fall outside of the system, where the system's just working against them. That's because as, as humans, we try our best to maximize the wealth for as many people as possible, but there's always some people that, fall outside of that for whatever reason. It's, there's, there's always some people that are maybe intentionally or unintentionally discriminated against. And so God set laws in place to ensure that this wouldn't happen. And so there's a lot of examples in the Old Testament. For example, on the seventh year, there was the, um, uh, what was that called now? The seventh year. No, that's the one. I'm coming to that in a minute. So I'll explain it. I'm, you can look up the name later, but in the seventh year, basically, all debts were canceled uh, so that like, people had a chance to climb out of debt. And then also for those that um, had crops and farms, you, you were told not to harvest your whole field. You were actually told to leave a part of your fields so that others who, who didn't have could actually come and gleam and actually harvest a little themselves so that the poor had a way of of feeding themselves, even though maybe they didn't own land themselves. So there was this, this culture that was biblical for actually sharing. And it wasn't about maximizing everything you can get, but actually helping others around you. And then, of course, we have tithing, giving 10% of your first fruits to help others, to help for bring it into the storehouse as it was, or to bring it into your church as we do today. And then there was the Jubilee year. Thank you, Christoph, for that. Uh, and that was um, the seven times seven years. So seven years is like um, a cycle. And then the seventh of the seven years, um, basically everyone was um, released to return to where they came from. So that was talking about in those days, a lot of people were born into slavery. They were born into uh, uh, an occupation, basically, where you worked for a master in their household. And in that year of Jubilee, you were basically released from that. And you could return and be a free person. So there's all these examples of how God puts in mechanisms to release people and to give people opportunity to climb out of poverty, to climb out of uh, any kind of oppression that they might f find themselves into. So this like anti-maximization message is throughout the Bible. So we are, we are told not to take everything to the edge because that is a form of injustice when we hoard ourselves and we don't share with people around us. Now, the people of God were called to leave margin in order to make sure that there was space and resources to allocate to people who were in need. 
for the ancient Israelites, doing justice was actually a command. It wasn't a choice. It wasn't just something they enjoyed doing, a little bit of philanthropy on the side. No, this was a command and also a practice built into their everyday life. Everyone was expected to participate in this. And then when we come to the, the New Testament, we see that Jesus was God with the poor, with the widow, the vulnerable, and the outcast. He compels his followers to join him in being with the least of these. In this parable, it says in Luke 14, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not just invite, like, invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Now, Jesus was always concerned about the most vulnerable. He wanted to see that we lived a life that prioritized the vulnerable out of a heart for justice. And his life teaches us to do the same. Now, Tim Keller commented on this, is that Jesus' advice, advice would have looked like economic and social suicide. He commanded that his disciples should share their homes and build relationships, not with people from their own social class or higher who would profit them, but with people who were poor, without influence, who could never pay them back with money or favors. Jesus wasn't saying, obviously, never eat with your friends or family that are wealthy and doing well, and they can help you out in life, but rather prioritize the needy over your own comfort, entertainment, and self-advancement. I find that quite convicting, just to reflect on that and question my, my choices. And this theme continues in the early church, in the book of Acts. We can read that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. That's incredible. While the scriptures are ripe with examples and exhortations to justice, and while we often have a desire for it, it can be a struggle to connect justice to our daily lives. I'm actually going to invite the band up. So come to a close. So I think we need to get a vision to live just lives, to be people of justice. And I think there's two key parts to this that we really have to get a hold of. Two key perspectives, if you like, for living a just life. The first one is that, that reality that every person is made in the image of God. You know, so much of our anger and our hatred and, and issues with people could so easily be remedied if we could just change that person's face to the image of God. Realize that that is a son or a daughter of God, no matter how they're acting up, no matter what they're doing, we know that they are people to be loved. And the second thing is that we need to realize that the reality that justice flows out of God's grace. So every person is made in the image of God. Every life has dignity. And this is the basis of justice, that every single human being is made in our 
Father in heaven's image. The very acts of justice towards other people can be rooted in honoring the image of God in them. Even if sometimes they might seem unlovable, I can live a life of service. I, 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 I can lay down my, my will and forgive sometimes the unforgivable because I'm doing it unto the Lord. And this is a foundation and capacity that completely separates a missional life from a secular life. It's the basis of this right relationship that God is looking for. Now, I realize this is difficult. This is why the second part is really important, that justice flows out of God's grace at work in our life. Justice is not a religious performance. If it was, we would fail. We wouldn't be able to do it. It flows from the very heart of God in His grace towards us, and His grace moves our hearts to do justice as well. Isaiah 58 says this. It says, Is not the kind of fasting... uh, This is not the kind of fasting I have chosen. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? We started this series and I talked about angst. I talked about the gap that's between what we want from our faith and, and, and where we're at right now, the reality and the desire, if you like. And when it comes to injustice in the world, we see so much horrible stuff going on. And I know there's a lot of people, even in our congregation, you know, whose hearts are breaking for this. You're burdened for that. And you can maybe experience that paralyzing angst of a desire to help and yet the challenges of the reality, feeling hopeless. And I'm really happy that Shettle spoke up this week and said, hey, you know, we can pray and prayer matters. You know, we're, we're around 2 billion Christians in this world, and we, we all get together and we pray, you better believe that's going to make a difference. So don't ever belittle the power of prayer, but I share in the heart that sometimes God is calling us to do something practical. Sometimes he's calling us to use our hands and feet to make a difference as well. You know, maybe you, though, cannot leave your family behind and help a child in the war zone. But don't just bury that compassion. Don't go, I, I can't do anything with it. Like, God, you've burdened me, but I'm, I'm useless. Realize that that's from God. Let that stir your heart to prayer. And I know in this church, we have a lot of people that are burdened for justice. They're burdened for the vulnerable. It's why we started the ministry, City Hearts. But let that burden, let it open your eyes to the needs that are in your very backyard. You know, there's people suffering in this neighborhood, in this city, that are currently living in hell in their own way. So let us turn every stone to see how we can help in our neighborhoods, in our, in our office place, in our cities, in our regions, to bring God's kingdom and righteousness on earth as it is in he- heaven. You know, in our relative comfort of life in Sweden, we can feel that like earth is just like a neutral ground, right? There's, we live in an age where heaven and earth have been separated after all. But we know that Jesus has come. He's come to create hot spots of presence. That is why his church, his body is the hope of the world today. Heaven 
if you like, is being with God. To be with God is heaven. That is heaven. That's being whole again. That's having peace. Hell, on the other hand, it's not just a place. Separation from God. We talk about the eternal separation from God, and that is a real thing. But the reality is people experience hell today. There are people on earth that know, they don't have any hope of Jesus. They are facing the most horrendous situations. They feel complete separation from God. They're living in hell. Earth was never a neutral ground. Sometimes in our comfort, we can feel that way. But it is being contested. Lives are being fought over. And we too can experience hell when we live on earth without God. And heaven when we're with him. That is why Jesus said we will experience new life even here on earth. That we can be reconciled in relationship already now. It's why Paul was honestly torn between heaven and earth. Should I go? Should I stay? Life with all of its problems lived with God is still worth living. For our comfortable Western self, we can fool ourselves that life is just fine without God. But even a faithful believer can experience that angst of separation, that dark night of the soul when life turns sour and God feels so far away. Right now in our world, there's people experiencing hell in the face of war, sorrow, abuse. They feel abandoned. They maybe feel alone. They feel helpless. They feel that this is hell. The absence of faith, of hope and love, that is Jesus. Regardless of what you believe is the driver of injustice, what caused this, who's right, who's wrong, whatever your political leaning or perspective you have to recognize that some people, the poor, the vulnerable, the disadvantaged, are living in hell today. And we have a responsibility to be the hands of feet in Jesus in setting the captives free. So I want us just to all rise to our feet. Because I believe as, as Christians, we're called to this missional life. To share a message, but also to live out that message, to to be examples of this new life in our world, to a world that is decaying, that a world that is so desperate for this life that is only found in Jesus. So Lord, we pray. Lord, we humbly come before you. We ask that you would help us to walk that walk. Lord, that we would act justly and that we would love mercy, that we would walk humbly with our God. That is what you're looking for from us, Lord. Lord, let us not be ignorant, Lord, of those around us. Lord, we know that you have called us to right relationship with you. That was achieved through Jesus, Lord. But now you're asking of us to get right with each other, to be people that fight for justice and righteousness to be people that seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, to be peacemakers in this world, to be people that hunger and thirst for righteousness, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would burden us with those that you have called us to help in this world, Lord. Let us not just dismiss those moments when you're knocking on our heart, when you're making us aware of the needs in this world. Make us realize that 
flowing from your grace, we can make a difference in this world, Lord. Help us to have that perspective, to see each and every person in our lives today, our co-workers, our colleagues, our, 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 our fellow students, Lord, our family members, as bearers of the image of God. Let us honor that in them, Lord. Let us see the sacredness in that. Lord, I want to lift up our City Hearts ministry. I thank you, Father, for Aaron and Yvonne, for Stina, for Sama, for the many others who felt the burden to make a difference, to help those that are out on the outside where maybe the system's not working for them, to give them a hand up, Lord. I thank you for that heart, Lord. I believe that you planted that seed, God. And I thank you for a new season, Lord. I thank you that you're going to put new air in those tires, Lord. And you're going to help that ministry to gather speed and to gather momentum, Lord. That you have people in this church already who are going to be a part of that. Who you've given a burden for, for people stuck in addiction. That maybe come from the life that they've come from. That they want to help people come from the darkness into the light, Lord. And you're going to bring in people with, to this church with skills and expertise that are going to help unlock finances and help us get into places that really need the gospel, Lord God, in our city and in our region. Lord, we thank you that we are growing into mature missional disciples, Lord, people that aren't afraid to speak of your goodness, to testify of your goodness, Lord, and people that show the fruit of new life in our everyday walk. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.